This is Bethel Online. Welcome home. This is the next best thing to being at Bethel on Sundays. We are driven by making disciples of Jesus who make disciples. When you're online, interact with us on Facebook and Instagram. When you're in Barhead, Alberta, drop in Sundays to Friday. Our goal on this podcast is to ask questions, challenge certainty, and grow a relationship with Jesus so you can go the distance and bring others with you. Thank you for tuning in. Time since I was here at Bethel last, I can't count the years, but I do know that there are some people here that I know and who perhaps know me. Anybody know Ghanem Raju? Oh, we even got a yay there. I'll tell Ghanem that he got a yay today. And uh, that's good. And I got thinking about Peter Goff. Anybody know Peter? I don't think Peter is here this morning, is he? Anybody know Peter? Yeah, I grew up with Peter in Medicine Hat uh, about 10,000 years ago. And uh, so I know Peter as well, too. And some of you uh, we've met before through camp and various places. And so a real delight for my wife, Karen. Honey, wave. There you go right here with us too so a delight to um, be together with you here in Bethel and uh, in Barhead what a beautiful place to live I mean we drove out this morning and maybe you get used to uh, these beautiful countryside settings but we thought it was absolutely gorgeous out here enjoyed it very much and so a real real delight for us to be here Pastor Dave Finley we've also known for 10,000 years and um, good people, him and his wife, uh, delighted to know them for a long time and uh, to know them too through the Alberta Beach Camp, Sunset Point. And uh, these, are, these are choice, choice folks. Speaking of pastors, I was thinking earlier about how that three little boys were gathered to brag on their dads and the one little guy said, you know, my dad writes a poem on a piece of paper and he submits it and they give him $50 for his poem. Second little boy said, well, my dad writes a song on a piece of paper and uh, he submits it and they give him $100 for his song. Third little boy thought for a moment and said, oh, I got you all beat. My dad writes a sermon on a piece of paper, submits it to the congregation, and it takes eight people on Sunday morning to gather all the money. <laughs> I want us to turn our attention today to Ephesians chapter 5. Did you bring a copy of the scriptures with you? Maybe you've got a hard copy that looks like this, or you might have an electronic copy. Anybody here use version on your smartphone? Yes, a number of you do. It's what I do, but I have my hard copy with me today. But Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, well, we'll go down a little farther than that, but let's read together some of the background for what we want to talk about today. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Ephesus, and here's what he says. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality 
or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as a man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitful deeds of darkness, and rather, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is disobedient to do in secret. But everything exposed by the light produces visible, becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your blessing on us as we think about your word today. We contemplate its truth and we make decisions this morning about how we will allow it to impact our lives. We commit ourselves to your precious care. In the name of Christ, we ask. Amen. Amen. Have you ever thought about the idea that we spend a great deal of our lives here on this earth just finding out stuff? It occupies our time. We can't avoid it. It fills our lives. It fills our minds. We are consistently and constantly finding out things. It goes like this. We begin life by finding out how to eat, and then to walk, and then to talk. And then we find out how to read and write and think and learn. And soon we find out how to work a computer and graduate and get on with getting a job. And then we find out how to earn a living, how to find a spouse, and how to raise our kids. And then we find out how to lose weight and stay in shape to avoid a heart attack. And finally, before it's all over, we're faced with the realities of finding out how to die and how to die gracefully. Finding out. When I think of all of those things, eat, walk, talk, read, write, think, computers, graduate, living, spouse, kids, and the list goes on and on and on. I sometimes get weary about all of that. That takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of time. It fills so much of my life. And then I come to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 10, the little phrase that we read just a moment ago that simply says, and find out what pleases the Now, you know that the Ephesians here that Paul is writing to had shifted their loyalties. They had made a decision, as I'm sure most, if not all of you, have made a decision to shift from the kingdom of darkness 
into what Paul calls the kingdom of light. Verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians chapter 5. Let me read it again. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Pretty important. But sadly, for many of us, most of us, maybe all of us, we have the temptation to somehow wander back into the darkness again. And from what we read in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul reminds us very clearly that nothing good happens in the dark. Nothing good happens in the kingdom of darkness. I was thinking about um, four people who were riding on a train across the countryside. And they were in one of those cubicles that some of you will remember where two people sat here and two people sat here, and they faced each other. Do you remember that? I can't remember what they called that kind of a car. But there they were, rolling down the track, and... Uh, there was a grandmother on one side, and opposite her was a pretty young girl, and then next to her was an army general, and opposite the army general was a young army private. And so along they went, and soon they came to one of those tunnels, and you know what they're like if you've traveled through D.C. Suddenly it gets very dark as you enter the tunnel, and when they got in there, they heard the sounds of a kiss, and then there was a whack of a hand, and there was an ouch. And a moment later, they came back out into the light again. And the general was rubbing his eye, and the pretty girl was looking very embarrassed. The grandmother was looking very angry, and the young army private had a smile on his face. And the grandmother was thinking, isn't it a terrible thing when a pretty girl can't even ride on a train without being attacked by an army general? And the general was thinking, I wonder why the pretty girl thought it was me that kissed her and not the young private. And the pretty girl was wondering why the general kissed the grandmother and not her. And the young private was thinking, isn't it a wonderful thing when you can kiss the back of your hand, sock a general right in the eye, and get away with it? <laughs> That's what happens in darkness. You know, the very first rule, I think, of any army, successful army, is that they really need to understand and know who their enemy is. And when we go to the scriptures, we find there are three enemies there whose job it is to see that we are drawn back into the darkness again. I've listed them for you there. You can follow along. Number one is the world, and that's that system that operates around us, a thought without Christ at the center, a system that many times is so deceptive in our lives. And I think of media could be an example of this, that over time, super, or at least attempts to superimpose a value system on our lives, to change our thinking, to change the way that we live. That's the system of this world. First John tells us, do not love the world 
for anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love the Father. The love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So I'm enticed by the system of the world to go back into darkness. And then, of course, there's the devil himself, this uh, most personal villainous leader of fallen angels who is unalterably committed to opposing God at every turn. Scriptures talk about him as well. Peter addressed this whole deal when he said, Be alert and be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And then we come to the third enemy, and that's the flesh. The flesh. Inclinations to trust anyone but God for life. Inclinations that are fueled by a deceived mind that thinks God is not good enough to trust. And Paul the Apostle talks a great deal about the flesh. Romans chapter 8, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And so therein is our challenge. The world, yes, the system of the world. The devil, yes, this villainous leader of fallen angels who opposes God at every turn, yes. But then there's the flesh, and really honestly, folks, I don't think a lot about the world. I don't think a lot about the devil. I think a great deal about my flesh and my inclinations to wander out of the kingdom of light in some way back into the kingdom of darkness again. So God's strategy for overcoming this most internal enemy that we feel most moments of every day involves some really sometimes tough to understand ideas that we see riddled through the New Testament scriptures. In Romans, and we read some of it, dying to sin, being released from the law to serve in a new way of the Spirit, yielding ourselves as instruments to righteousness, not conforming to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Galatians talks clearly about living by the Spirit and not in the flesh. Galatians talks about putting to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature and clothing ourselves with godly virtue. Do you see it there? All kinds of ideas swirl around. But yet, I think out of all of that, if you read the New Testament Scriptures, you find that two core ideas evolve here, and they are simply this. Number one, we live out the gospel by killing an already defeated enemy. We live out the gospel by killing an already defeated enemy. Colossians 2, when you were dead in your sins and in this uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. 
He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So we live out the gospel by killing an already defeated enemy. And then secondly, that next truth you see there is we surrender ourselves to the energy and the promptings of the living Christ and His Spirit in our hearts. So we're never told anywhere in Scripture that we should kill the world or kill the devil. The Bible is clear that God someday will burn down the world and He will will lock up the devil. But he has told us it is so important that we get on with the job of putting to death the enemy within us, the enemy who is so much a part of who we are that we often mistake him for one of our closest friends. So my enemy is the flesh, that nature within me that is consistently inclined to sin, disobedience to the known will of God. So again, my task is to live out the gospel by killing an already defeated enemy. How do I do that? The best way I can do that is by surrendering myself to the energy and the promptings of the Holy Spirit each day that I live. It means no matter what surfaces during the course of the day, I say no to the flesh and I say yes to the Spirit. You know that experience, don't you? Whatever it is. It means we live our lives to, as Paul says, find out what pleases the Lord. This is the heart of it. Finding out what pleases the Lord is figuring out what is darkness and what will take me there and what is light and what will take me there. Find out what it is and then allow your life to move very carefully Uh, in that direction of God's leading and the prompting of His Spirit. So our focus, our energy, our efforts need to be spent on finding out what pleases the Lord. Therefore, brothers, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, we have an obligation, but not to the flesh, to live according to it. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Pretty important truth as we live our Christian lives from day to day. So now this brings us to what I would call three levels of engaging this whole idea of finding out what pleases the Lord. This is what we need. And for me, it's, it's almost like the layers of an onion that make the whole. You peel them back, peel them back to nothing. But you build them layer upon layer upon layer. You come with something that we would see as an onion and perhaps could enjoy, but it is the sum total of the layers that make up that whole. And so we'll see today that it's the choices I make, it's the habits I build, it's the life I live. Here's how... I find out how to please the Lord. Number one, the choices I make. What did Joshua say? Choose you this day who you will serve, right? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. For me, 
That's what I call the ultimate choice, the ultimate decision we make in our lives. And that's the choice about our salvation, the choice about who we will serve. Will it be God or mammon? Will it be God or Satan? Where are you going to go? Um, I'm so grateful for my conversion to Christ. And, you know, we drove sort of close to Alberta Beach Sunset Point Camp this morning on our way here. Many of you are very familiar with those grounds. I was saved at a campground not there, but the old Fraser Valley Bible Campground in just out of Abbotsford, British Columbia, many, many years ago when I was just a teenager. I went to the service rebellious, rejecting most of the truth that was propagated by my parents and our church and all of that, determined to live my own life. And then one night on a Friday night when Eunice Myers was there. Anybody remember Eunice Myers? Oh, yeah, I got a few hands going up. You're old. You're really old. And uh, Eunice was playing the accordion and walking across the platform. If you know Eunice, you know that was, that was her style. And singing and inviting everybody to come forward to the altar. And I came because I knew my parents would want me to do that. And I went over to the corner over here and hid by the side wall and just waited there. Somebody in that crowd, to this day I have no idea who it was, a man came behind the rails of that little bench and slid a hymn book under and said, hey, young man, why don't you read the words to the hymns? Maybe this will help you. And I guess the mistake I made, if you can call it a mistake, was I turned to the old rugged cross. <laughs> and I started to read the words. Now, I'd sung that a thousand times in the church growing up, but I started to read on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross for the dearest and best, for a world of lost sinners were slain. And I got to the chorus, so I'll cherish the old rugged cross. And at that moment, Something shifted in my spirit, and I wept my way through to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and made that ultimate choice of my life as to who I would serve, and that master would be the Lord Jesus. What a change. What a change. The ultimate choice. I was thinking about um, Tom Monahan. Some of you may know that name. He's the founder of Domino's Pizza. Anybody had any Domino's Pizza? Lived in Detroit. Uh, also at one point the owner of the Detroit Tiger. And um, we had family that lived in Windsor and we had often visit them, go across to Detroit. And we were, I was driving with a family member through the hills out of Detroit. And as we were driving, he looked up and he saw this massive home that was being built there, and he said, oh, yeah, that home belongs to that stupid, his word, not mine, stupid Tom Monahan. He was building that house, 10,000 square feet, and then he got religion, and he stopped building it so he could give more money to the church. And then at just at that moment, I could feel it. The relative realized, oh, I forgot, I'm sitting beside a Christian. <laughs> and a preacher, a pastor at that, and he was a little embarrassed, but the point was made. Tom Monahan had come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He had decided that he was changing kingdoms, my friend. He made that ultimate decision that changed the direction of his life forever, and that's what it's all about. And so we make the ultimate choice. You've got to settle that, and then having done that, you will have 
millions of subordinate choices that you have to make every day of your life. And in the midst of all of that, you're going to either say yes or no to this whole matter of finding out what pleases the Lord. So everything I do, everything I say, everything I am, I'm asking the question, will this really please God? Will it please God? Ultimate choice, yes, but subordinate choices. As Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his, in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we're not alone there. As we move through our days and we make these choices, we are working out our salvation with a sense of, of awe in the presence of God. Uh, Titus 2 as well says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us, here it is. Now here is a, an individual here who is finding out what pleases the Lord. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to say yes, the Bible didn't say that, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So subordinate choices. So you first have to choose. The choices I make are the first layer of the onion. That, that's at the core of it all, that ultimate choice to serve Christ, those subordinate choices that we're going to make from day to day. Secondly, beyond the choices I make, it's the habits I build. The habits I build. Now, habits are a complex of practices. Um, they are the things that we do consistently over a period of time that over time will create almost like an auto-response from our minds and our life, our spirit. We do these things without thinking. We just like get in the car and we put on the seatbelt and we drive the car and pretty soon we're where we want to go and we haven't even thought thought about what we have done that's the auto response that's what habits really are all about and in our lives we develop good habits we develop bad habit and it seems the good in our lives takes a lot of discipline the bad in our lives doesn't seem to take any discipline at all that's kind of easy for me it's the enticement of the flesh but we have to make those decisions as to how we will build the habits of godliness into our lives I was thinking the other day about someone talking to me many years ago when I was much younger about a person who was smoking, and uh, they said to him, you know, if you, if you stopped smoking and invested all the money you paid on cigarettes every day, and back then it was only like 50 cents a day. I don't, I don't know what it would be today. Back then, 50 cents a day. They said, if you do that, by the time you're 50 years of age, you will be independently wealthy. And I remember as a young guy thinking, whoa, that's amazing. But as I thought about that, that's true. The habits of our life determine the direction our life takes. And that's a simple illustration, but I think you get the point. You either go this way or you go this way. You have to decide what it's going to be. Paul said to Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. 
So Paul says, yeah, exercise, we need to do that. We need to make sure we take care of this body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But you can compare that with the value of godliness holding promise for both the present life and the life that is to come. So the choices I make and the habits I build are a part of finding out what pleases the Lord. And then thirdly, it's the life I live. Jesus, John chapter 4, verse 34 says, My food, or that which sustains me, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. That was the sum total of Jesus' motivation in life, to do the Father's will. Is that our motivation in life? My food, that which sustains me, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I don't know whether anybody here in this room would remember the name Axie Benson. If you have some connection back to the city of Edmonton or back to what was the old Central Pentecostal Tabernacle, you might know Axie Benson, who died in her 98th year in 1998. An amazing amazing person. She was one of the last pioneers of, uh, of Central Tabernacle. And uh, this is the church that is now North Point Community Church in the city of Edmonton, having relocated and built a new building a number of years ago. And Axie Benson said, she told me, she said, I was there when Dr. D.N. Buntain announced that he was going to start a Bible college in the 1940s. And of course, we know that Bible college became Northwest Bible Institute and is now, all these years later, probably 70 years later, is Vanguard College. And for many years, Axie lived the history of that church and even lived the history of the Bible college we know as Vanguard now. And when she passed, I remember thinking about her and wondering who would there be that would take the place of Axie this servant of Christ, this gentle spirit, this woman who had a, a, a deep personal prayer life, whose goal it was every moment of life that she lived to find out what pleased the Lord. So important for faith. And it's interesting that the very last thing that Axie did on the day she died, the very, very last thing she did was to sit down and write a support check to the ministry of what was then Northwest Bible College, now Vanguard College. Wow. The very last thing she did. What does that say about the values of her life? For me, it says a lot, and a lot that's true. Paul reminds us, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what, is God's, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Life is so short, isn't it? Seems like just yesterday I was 20, but I ain't 20 anymore. 
<laughs> Let me tell you. And uh, wow, the years and the decades seem to go past so very quickly. And how we live our lives is so critical. And the danger for us is that somehow we would prop the ladder of our life against a wall and we would climb and climb and climb and climb the rungs, finding out so many things, but only to get to the top and look over to discover that somehow I'd spent my entire life climbing the wrong wall. The wrong wall. I remember Wayne Gretzky. You know him, don't you? great hockey player, Wayne Gretzky, who said on, in a television interview not long ago, all I have I owe to the game of hockey. Now, I'm not going to take a moment to take anything away for what he accomplished because, wow, I've spent a lot of time enjoying the skill of this man as an individual hockey player and a team player to boot. Just an incredible gift he had. But yet, at the end, the celebration of hockey victories is not going to cut it when you stand at the feet of Jesus. Because somehow, we could discover that we have spent our entire lives climbing the wrong wall. All I have, I owe to the game of hockey. And for us today, I pray that our heart's cry will be, all I have, all I am, all I possess, all I will be, I owe to the living Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior and Master of my life. Finding out what pleases the Lord. I'm so thankful that we're not alone in all of this. We don't wander into the kingdom of light. And then God says, well, here you are. Take care of yourself. But we have Every resource that God can make available to us to succeed here, as Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil So as we move out into the world today, after this service is over, we have some choices to make about the choices we will make, the habits we will build, and it's never too late to start building those, and the life that we will live. And all of those things under the banner of finding out what pleases the Lord will enable us to become the people that he has called us to be that will be salt and light in the world that he has sent us into. Live for Christ in the choices we make, the habits we build, the life we live is like saying, I'm going to make the rest of my life the best of my life. And I'll do it in partnership with the Lord of my life. Amen. Leanne, come and lead us in. We're going to sing together, I have decided to follow Jesus. And then in a moment I'll come back and close in prayer. But let's just take some time just to quiet our hearts and listen 
to what the Spirit is saying to us this morning.